Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. School shootings, traumatic weather events, local fires, acts of terror, when the world is struck with a catastrophic event, it's natural to want to shield our children from the effects of it. We want to keep their innocence intact, allowing them to grow up carefree and unfettered, feeling safe and calm wherever they go. We might wonder, if we just don't talk about it, could our children remain in their happy little bubble for the time being? The problem is we live in a world where children receive messages about traumatic events from many different avenues. It's not just the news that we can easily turn off or even the 24-7 access to the internet that provides a play-by-play as negative stories develop. It's also that different families have different rules about such access, with multiple kids of various ages in their homes who are permitted to have more access, so that might mean that You send your blithely innocent child to school, ignorant of any scary event that might have occurred, only to have them bombarded with the news from a more informed or maybe not accurately informed child on the bus or from a, a group of kids in a class. Knowing that something has happened, but not having anyone to explain it in age appropriate terms and how it relates to our specific child can be frightening for anyone. We all need context, assurance, and our own concerns addressed by someone we trust. Our kids actually need information to feel safe. And as a parent or an educator or a coach who knows this child, you're the perfect person to have the conversation with them. I've talked about this on national TV shows. I've written it in in the press. But I thought it was really important to talk about it on my podcast, especially through the lens of anxiety, as many kids have trouble dealing with such large-scale events. My next guest tells us that since you know your child best, it's important to manage the conversation, or shall we say tailor it, based on who they are, what they already know, and what it means for them. Karen Young has been on our podcast before, talking about anxiety. In fact, her podcast episode is in the top five most downloaded episodes of How to Talk to Kids About Anything of all time. She's back today to discuss with me how we can talk to kids about traumatic world events. Karen has worked as a psychologist in private practice and in educational settings. She founded the very popular website, Hey Sigmund, which attracts millions of readers each year. Karen is a sought-after speaker, both at home in Australia and internationally. She's the author of Hey Warrior, a book for kids to help them understand anxiety and find their brave. The book has now been translated 
into a number of languages. I want to welcome you, Karen, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Hi, thank you for having me. This is such an important topic and I'm really grateful to you for opening the conversation about it here. So I'm really um, pleased to be a part of it. Well, thank you so much. We loved having you on the show talking about anxiety. You are such an incredible resource for parents and educators. And I knew really that you would be the perfect person to get on again and talk with us about how we can help kids through traumatic events, especially worldly events, global events, or even local events that are traumatic and uh, really have the right words to say and some good tips in our back pocket so that we know how to handle it. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You know, with anxiety, we, our kids are just being exposed to so much now. And it is, it's, you know, just reflecting on what you said about social media and the accessibility of, of information to them and the volume of information that they have access to now, which we didn't have access to anything like this this amount of information so quickly and so readily um, and so rawly sometimes at least ours was often filtered um, you know through parents or through the six o'clock news but what they can access on social media if they're not accessing it directly but the you know the things they're getting from their peers mm. is is enormous mm -hmm. absolutely mm. So before we get into everything, for those who haven't yet heard you talk about anxiety or read your books, can you tell us how, as someone who is particularly focused on kids and anxiety, how you found these traumatic world events or national events collide with kids' anxiety? What have you seen and, and what have you heard that's helped you to take such an interest in this particular topic? Mm. So one of the things to remember about um, anxiety is one of the things that can really flourish anxiety or, or trigger anxiety and memories. Now, the thing about the memories is they don't actually need to be an experience that the child has had themselves. Mm. So those memories when they when you know the the um the, the memories that are accessed which give rise to to anxiety or to that response can be stories they hear it can be something they hear from their friends at school it can be in a movie it can be on the news so for sure when they're accessing information about um world trauma or traumatic events they um they can get laid down as memories which can become really accessible and when those memories are accessed so if there's um you know if it's a weather event that that they they even hear about they might not even have 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 been anywhere in the area but if they're hearing about it that that will get accessed um whenever they're in a similar situation or it could be anything you don't even know it can be when they're falling asleep at night and that can be enough to start that uh, that that anxiety response that fight or flight response so what we need to do as parents is start to give it a context so those memories aren't delivered or, or aren't accessed as this raw information which has no context and no shape for them. Um, and the less we put that context, context around it, the more those memories are going to be accessible in a way that can really um, be scary for them and, and can really ignite that anxiety 
Mm-hmm. I, I think you're hitting on something very important and something that we don't always give such credit to that a child can read something in a book, a child could see something on a program, even if it's not actually a nonfiction program, a fiction program, and take that in as a memory, as mm-hmm. you're saying, and and then it becomes part of what they may call up that's bringing anxiety. And they may not even know why, why they're feeling so anxious. They may not even have connected it, but it becomes part of their brain and part of their memories, as you said. That's so interesting. Um, I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's not something that we often say. Mm. And the thing to remember too, with emotional memories, they often don't, they lay themselves down as full experiences. So even hearing about, or, you know, seeing vision of um, something really frightening or, or really raw on TV or, or um, hearing about it from their friends, that emotional, that becomes an emotional experience. And when emotional experiences lay themselves down, they lay themselves down almost as sensory experiences and they they don't lay themselves down as words. So that's why that the, you know, if they hear about a school shooting, when they go to school, they can, they can have these feelings accessed. The reason they won't consciously know what's going on is because the, it's not, it's not laid down as words. It's not like they don't, they don't access it in the way of, oh, that's right. This is because I, I saw it on the news. So I'm worried about it. They can't put those pieces together mm. because it's, they just know a feeling mm. because that, that experience, that experience is accessed and it's and it's automatic and it's instinctive and and it happens for a good reason you know if we put our hands on a hot stove that lays itself down um you know that the emotional experiences are powerful and that's to drive us away Mm. from threat or from risk so when it's all working as it should it's 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 perfect but what can happen is it can drive us away from the wrong things if those memories or if that experience isn't um, processed. And it's why often, um, you know, if, if kids are upset when, when they're being dropped at school or if they're getting anxious about school, we can look at them and say, but there's there's nothing to be scared of. Mm-hmm. There's no problem there. That's because they, all they know is they might have had a passing thought about something happening to their parent while they're away from them or they might have heard something about someone who was at school and you know something happened and there was no one there to help them or and that can be enough so it's not necessarily something they can articulate or that they're consciously aware of because it all happens um in the amygdala which it's it's all on a on a neural level which Mm. doesn't always come through um, you know, to a conscious word level. They're just aware of the feelings. Mm. So mm. they might not know why they're anxious, but they're a bit of anxiety. They'll know why, mm. where the threat is. The amygdala knows why. Mm. <laughs> okay, so so when, yeah. when that scary world event happens, and even if it is a world away, as you were saying, they can, it can affect our kids right here at home. So how do different children react mm. to catastrophic news? And how do you know when their feelings have gone from a more typical reaction to one that's falling into more of an anxiety range? Mm. 
So that's a really good question. The The clue is that something is a problem when it's causing problems. Mm. So if some kids might become withdrawn, some kids might actually put it into, I don't want to go to sleep in case there are monsters under my bed or in case there are witches or in case someone comes and steals me or it can be put into something which sounds really irrational mm. but but it's actually when you dig down enough the fear is is very valid and and it's very real um and it's about separation or something happening to them or or someone they love should this should this event it's it's all about being you know under threat feeling unsafe um some kids um might just talk about it a lot some kids might talk about it not at all some kids might be you know on social media trying to do their own research and figure it out themselves so what we need to do as as parents or the important adults in their lives who they trust is actually just check in with them so when there is a global event it's very likely uh, unless they're really small and they don't have access to the new you know maybe a four-year-old who isn't who doesn't see the news or who you know they don't have their own social media obviously but if it's um you know eight nine ten eleven when they when there's a potential that they might be going to school and talking about it and getting information or it might be coming through their own own feeds in um social media um it's really important that we open the door for them to talk about it and it can just be something as simple as um so so you know what happened I'm wondering how you feel or if there's something that you would like to talk about it I just want you to know that I'm here if you want to talk how are you feeling about it all um, because it's a pretty scary thing to happen mm. they might not want to talk and so we don't want to push them to talk if they don't want to the idea is just to make it um, accessible for them so um, you know and, and and that still has to be on their terms so if it's if it's um, an older child or an adolescent, they're going to be turning more towards their peers and less likely to be talking to us. And so, you know, the conversations for that are beside them in the car or just asking them what the talk is at school, what people are saying, how they're feeling about it. Or something I think is really useful um, for older kids is just sitting beside them on the bed at night time. And it doesn't, we don't even have to raise it, but often that can be when they're feeling safe and connected to you and there's no more noise, that can be when they start to open up about it. So it's not even intentionally going in there to speak about it, but just, you know, sitting down on the edge of the bed, asking about their day, asking how they're going and and um, just letting them know that you're always there mm. for them. And that can... Um, you know, create a really um, safe and just calm environment for them mm -hmm. to access you. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. So, so if a child, let's go through. I I think it's it's good to go through a little bit of an age scripting. If a child comes mm -hmm. to you and actually says that they heard about something on the news let's say it was a shooting or a terrorist event and or maybe they just did a drill at school let's say and they're asking yes if they're asking something like can this really happen to us in that moment mm. let's go with i mean look it's even happening in elementary school that the kids are having these drills and they could hear about something so let's start with mm -hmm. maybe that the younger ages and then move into the middle school and high school ages after that, what would you say to your child in that moment? 
So, so say for um, for a primary school children, the biggest thing to remember with all kids and really whatever age they are, is the primary question in their mind will be, what about me? Mm-hmm. What does this mean for me and, and the people I love? Because that does translate to what about them? Mm-hmm. So for primary school kids, um, it's likely that they will know what happened. But what they want is is they want that they that they'll be looking for what it all means for them so are they safe are you safe mm. could this happen to us how do you know that and and you know we can we we can easily say things like well no you, you know you're you're okay we're we're here we're good but they'll need the detail and so we really need to attend to that so that they don't um, fill in the gaps themselves only as much as they need to feel safe so we don't want to and it's really important not to avoid their questions or not to dismiss how they feel because when we do that it's it's not going to make those questions or feelings go away it's just going to really in a sense make them um you know more of a um, more intrusive for them so what we need to do is look for one way to help them feel safe is look for the differences between what what has happened and and their life so if if it was um say a catastrophic weather event, do we live in places and it might be flooding, mm-hmm. um, which is something you know, that's happening here at the moment, mm-hmm. do we live in a place where there are no cyclones or there are no, um, you know, we, we don't have flooding here. It doesn't happen here and it can happen, but every time something happens like this, there are people who 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 look at it to understand what's happened and what, what needs to happen to make sure that, we're safer from it in the future. So they need to be. They need to understand that there's work happening behind the scenes, even when this happens, to look after them. And there are people who do this. If you can um, explain how their situation is different, um, then that's helpful as well. Because what they do is they look at. Um, they'll they'll look at something and they'll go, well, this could happen to me. Yeah. Um, and and you know these grown ups were were you know hurt maybe you could be hurt mm-hmm. or you know they might see a child crying and and what does that mean for me if something happens to you so point out the differences um if you know if you can do that well that happened it's different here because mm-hmm. of maybe we live in a different place or um you know maybe it's different circumstances or uh, you know whatever the differences are mm-hmm. and if you have trouble finding the differences point out that there are people who you know who work on this to make sure that it that it um you know that they're going to be safe in the future Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a really important thing and i know that here you know when there's been hurricanes or tornadoes we do point out the differences because we don't live typically in an area that's that's struck with that because you know you're talking about something that might be flat you know more flat land and that kind of thing um things in the coast um on the on the bottom part of america for us but when it comes to something like a school shooting those differences Mm. start to be more you know more rare because okay well that was a community that you know, looks very much like mine. Um, the adults look like people I've seen. So in that case, mm. 
just to put high beams on what you're saying, that it's important to then step back and say, every time that this type of thing happens, we learn and the adults who are in charge, who are trying to keep everybody safe, learn what they can do to keep us safer. Uh, And there are many people who are working on this to make sure that we are safe. They're working on it when you are uh, at school, they're working at it when you are out of school, when you're sleeping, they're working on it around Mm. the clock. And, And I think it is important to say that outright. I like that idea a lot. The other thing is, too, they'll be looking to you for a sign as to whether or not they're safe. And mm. kids do this um, you know, generally with anxiety, but especially for this. So one of the things to give them, because they might not feel safe, so we have to, in a sense, let them know that we feel safe enough for you know, both of us. Mm. And, it's, and the conversation along the lines mm. of, I wouldn't let you go to school if I didn't trust you were going to be okay. Mm. I... And I understand you're scared. This is scary and it scares me. So we need to catch their feeling. We need to validate it Mm. because they need to know that we get it and that we're not just dismissing them. And then the extra bit um, to move them, you know, forward from where they are is I feel really safe sending you to school. I promise I wouldn't do it if I wouldn't send you to school if I didn't feel safe Mm. about it because I trust that that they've learned things and that and that they've got this so we you know and that that doesn't mean we feel completely safe about it because it can happen you know Mm -hmm. it can happen where we aren't in control of that but we feel safe enough Mm -hmm. because we wouldn't do it if we didn't feel safe right right so we need to do is communicate that we trust that they're safe and that they're okay Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. And such good scripting. We appreciate that. So what about when the kids are a little bit older, that now they're uh, out of primary school or elementary school, and they've moved into uh, their middle or secondary school, and they have more knowledge, more access to the internet, more discussions with friends. And you have noticed that they are showing what is abnormal behavior for them, that they are sleeping more or less, they're eating more or less, they're, you know, seem to be up later or or sleeping all, to all hours of the day, something that is different. Now, what would you, mm. what would you say to an older child in the situation where you can see that the news has bothered them? So first of all, I'd name that. I would say... Um, you know, this this is a big thing that's happened and and it's scary and I feel scared by it. It shook me. Um, and I wonder how you feel about it because I'm noticing that you're doing, um, that you're not speaking as much or that you are a little bit more teary or that you're um, sleeping late. Whatever it is that they're doing, name it. And then say... Um, you know, that's really understandable because people, when when they get a scare like this and something like this, even though we're not in it, is scary because we can't help thinking, what if it happened to me or what if it happened to us? Mm. That's really normal and I get that and I went through that when I heard about it. Um, I'm wondering what's happening for you. And what we want to do is, is, if we can, get them to talk 
because when they talk they start to give those feelings context and it starts to they start to make important connections what verbalizing does is it actually um, soothes that, that emotional um, side of the brain so you know if you if you imagine it it's not discreet like this but there's a feelings side and then there's the language and logic side when there's big feelings without the words that's really scary and it's why intuitively we know it's good to talk about stuff so we'll just want to talk to our girlfriends we're not looking for a solution we just feel better when we talk about things because we're actually putting word to that experience and giving it a shape and a context and then it becomes more containable those feelings mm. and we make the connections we need to so even the act of talking about it is enough mm. so if you can just put that invitation there now we, we don't want to force them because they might not even know have the words for it yet but the idea is to get them talking and also to give them that um, you know what they need in that moment is it's okay to feel like this mm. because if they haven't talked about it, it's just a feeling which feels they might be feeling silly because there are actually people who have died and here am I really safe and warm and tucked in bed and I don't deserve to feel like this this is crazy this is silly so what we need to do is validate that response and actually give them permission in a sense to to feel whatever they feel because whatever they feel is okay and even that can be a relief and it might take a couple of days they might not want to talk about it straight away but it's about um just leading them there and 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 answering really directly any questions they have and even sharing a little bit of your experience about how you felt when you when you heard about it can also open the open um mm -hmm. open the way for that mm -hmm. and then it's the same the same um you know every time something like this happens they learn from it mm -hmm. and i know it's really scary i get that but i feel and then you know letting them know that uh, if it's a school shooting say um this is really scary and, and people are going to be shaken by this for a while i get that i feel safe with you going to school and I understand that might not make a difference to you but I just want you to know that because I wouldn't um, send you to school if I didn't believe you're going to be safe and so we still have that same conversation but the idea is to try and get them talking mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. You know you've been so good in in our past uh, podcast when we talked about anxiety with providing some actual exercises when children are are really having some true anxiety about something. And in this case, we're talking about a particular event. Maybe one of their friends had a, a fire in their home, let's say, and uh, they're ruminating about it. You know, now they're, they're perseverating, they're ruminating. And what kinds of exercises might you do with a child or, or preteen or teen to help them cope with their feelings in a more healthy way if you see that they are, are stuck in that cycle that's keeping them in, in a really unhealthy state? One of the things, and I actually think this is where the research around anxiety is going to um, and, and rumination and negative thinking, um, you know, locked in that cycle is going to open up, is um, around gratitude. And that's because, 
yeah, at the start I was talking about those memories which mm. are really um, present for them and that keeps the rumination um, going. That keeps that because those memories are so accessible and we know the brain does what does most of so the more they think those thoughts the more accessible those thoughts become the more ac they access those memories and images of being of what they felt like when they were told about the fire or the image of that fire happening the more accessible they get what gratitude does is it actually it actually replaces over time those negative memories with something which is less compatible mm -hmm. with anxiety mm -hmm. so if they can get into a gratitude practice which is three times uh, you know before bed writing in a gratitude journal for what they're grateful for even just putting um you know just on a piece of paper or um you know sticky notes or whatever on their mirror three things they're grateful for or in a jar a glass jar so they can actually have a visual cue for the things that feel right in their lives and that they're grateful for three things before bed and what that's doing is that's um you know creating an well starting to create a pathway um, to memories and images which aren't this um, um, anxious um, negative thinking mm -hmm. and that can take time but but it's a really important practice to get into one of the other things that's important um, is um, and this is probably more long-term um, mindfulness and exercise are, are really important for they've found that um, for people who um, get stuck in in negative cycles, they let they have less of um, a chemical called GABA in the memory centres of the brain. And one of the ways to that's the short name for it. So they're less able to stop negative thinking. So probably this is something that's really important for kids who who typically get stuck in that ne negative thinking cycle. Um, one of the ways to um, make sure GABA's at the right levels is exercise, activity, moving. So we really need to make sure that our kids are playing and doing fun things and moving. Mm. And that can be really hard, especially if they're bigger kids and they have um, a study, uh, you know, they've got to go to school early for, you know, band practice or whatever and then all day they're exhausted. But but we're looking at strengthening from the inside out. So so this is how one of the ways to protect the brain so that when these things happen, they're less likely to get stuck in that cycle. And these are all long-term things. Short-term gratitude, writing down um, three things they're grateful for, but long-term mindfulness and exercise are really important things for all kids to, to, to give them what they need to be able to not enter into this negative thinking cycle and be really eaten up by it. Hmm. I really like that. It's such an easy thing to do. And it's something that, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what the event is, uh, and no matter where you are, you can do this for yourself. And it, it helps to bring peace to your, to your body and to your mind. I had a conversation mm -hmm. with my daughter the other day, because she she's been you know having some anxiety around certain things and I just I told her I wanted when she was at school I wanted her to look for three things three ways she could be kind to other people just to get her out mm -hmm. of looking for anything negative just three ways you can be kind 
to other people because I feel like if you get out of thinking just of what's happening to me or how am I feeling and looking outward at some other people that might be helpful. So I'm wondering how can children maybe do something active after a disaster, after a tragedy, after some kind of catastrophic event that can help them feel better, maybe even make a difference to a community? Is there something that they can do to be a part of a solution in, in maybe even a small way? Yeah. So whenever a disaster like this happens, there's always, um, you know, places to or ways to be charitable towards that and to give back. We just had it here with because the drought has really um, caused so much breakage for farmers and they're really um, devastated and families are really struggling and it happened you know with with my kids we were having a a talk about it and they're older and so one of the ways that um, and and it's that feeling of helplessness which can also lead to um, oh guilt in a way like why are we so lucky and they're so they're in so much pain it just you know so one of the things is, well, we are really lucky and so how can we make a difference? And so what they did was um, they, well, they donated money to the, you know, there are always different, whether it's the Red Cross or this was they had, um, oh, there were lots of different ones, Fiber for a Farmer and all sorts of ones. So they, um, they donated money for little kids. They can, you know, do do a job and that money and they can see where that money's going and, and how it's helping, whether it's the Red Cross or whether it's to, uh, you know, I don't, for, for school shootings, I don't, I don't, you know, there would be something there that would... Yeah, maybe make a, um, maybe make cards, they made teddy bears, I remember. There was a lot of uh, drawing pictures and, and sort of sharing mm. their, their love in, in a way that they can. Mm. Yeah. It's really just a way to get it out of them and to feel like yes. they... Uh, making a difference so to get that you know get that out of them and and to kind of um yeah that that sense that they're making a difference right right absolutely yeah it's I think it's important for them to feel like they can do something um even in some kind Mm. of small way when there was a fire in town one of the one of the kids who was in my daughter's class it was it was his family's house and you know of course a lot of people rallied in the class and in the school Uh, my son decided that year and we do different things for charity on birthdays but he decided for his birthday that he was going to be collecting things for that particular family uh, so that he could you know donate something that would be helpful to them so we got Mm. their toy lists and their you know what did they want that was going to be helpful to them so there are these small ways to say we can be helpful even though we're small I mean he might have been five at the time and instead of focusing then on the fire or the tragedy that Mm. happened we're focusing on what can maybe make a little bit of a difference to ease the the pain or the burden of the family or the families mm-hmm. that are are being challenged by it and i think that's important because i think the other thing that they need to know is when something like this happens the world really comes together or the mm-hmm. community comes together so 
people don't go through this on their own mm. because we rally mm. and we, you know, it's like we kind of join arms and, and, and hold people through as much as we can. And so they need to see that as well, mm. that, that it does, um, people look after people. So, and it's, this is, you know, especially when something, when something bad happens and it's hard to explain how um, some people do bad things, but there's more people who do good things and there's kindness and we do come together and we do look after each other because they might not see that. So when it's, especially if it's a little one and, and they'll hear about the tragedy, but they won't hear about necessarily about the response and how people are coming together and how, you know, there's an outpouring of love and um, support for mm. people. Um, so we need to balance it up by mm. by letting them know about that as well, as well as letting them, you know, take part in it if they can. Is there ever a time when you would say that yeah. it kind of moves into you need to get some outside help? I mean, is there, you know, we there's so many things that we can do as parents or as educators to help comfort the children, but is there ever a time when you would say, you know, it's now the anxiety is at a level that is is truly unhealthy, and and we're got to reach out for some some assistance from our family doctor or from a, a local therapist. For sure, and I think it's when it is really intruding into their day to day life. So when um, you know, if there's been a um a time period and things aren't getting better, and and they're refusing to go to school mm. or um, they're just not sleeping at all. When it gets or they don't want to go, they don't want to, you know, these might, might have been kids who were happy to um, do things on the weekend with their friends or but they don't want to leave a parent's mm. side. Mm. That's mm. when when it really intrudes and when it's beyond when you've tried everything you can try. And sometimes kids, you know, families just need, that extra support we all need a hand sometimes beyond you know what's in front of us and that's okay um and so I suppose one of the things is we you know we need to kind of um I don't know it, it's okay to do that it doesn't mean the child is broken it doesn't mean um you know that 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 it's a helpless situation by any means it just means it needs that extra the situation just needs, or the child needs that extra support. Mm. So when it's at a when it's at a stage where it's really intruding into day to day life, um, I think that's when it's and you've done everything you can. That's when it's time um, to get help. And sometimes it might just be a couple of sessions. You know, just it it might just need that extra mm. person um, you know, helping reframe or or a different way to think about things. Right. Um, Right. And, yeah. and especially if you're talking about a parent, you know, sometimes just being the parent, it's you're so involved, you're so interlocked, mm -hmm. and, you know, you can't be quite as objective. So having an outside mm -hmm. person can just help to move the process along with some objectivity. Mm -hmm. And as you said, some some mm -hmm. maybe some different techniques that might work better for your child and and we're just so tied in emotionally that you know sometimes we're you know we're so affected by it too because we want our child to be happy and, mm -hmm. and well again that we we just can't get the perspective mm -hmm. of of the the calm good activities or or get helping what's going to help them get out of it we're too involved 
And parents are incredibly powerful, you know, because they have the connection and they know their child. So it's it's not even about that. It's just having sometimes that, that like your child might need another perspective. One of the things I get a lot from teens is I thought I was really weird or I thought oh. I was um, broken. It's in the way they, they – isn't the word they use, but, you know, they use a word like I thought I was um, – there was something wrong with me. Mm. And one of the things that's really important for them to hear is, do you know I hear this from lots of kids oh, your age? There are yes. you would be surprised, and even that can 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 um, dilute the anxiety because the thing about anxiety is it grows and it feeds itself. So it starts with anxiety about what if this happens to me? What if? And then it grows into I'm so weird. There's something wrong with me because I just can't mm. stop thinking this. Oh. and so even here. You know, this happens to so many people and it's okay. Whereas if, if mum or dad says that, sometimes the kid can say, or, you know, that child can say, teen can say, well, of course you're going to say that. You're my mum. Exactly. But how would you know? <laughs> you know? And so sometimes they just need that other perspective, whether it's a school counsellor or a therapist mm-hmm. to say, I see lots mm-hmm. of kids. I hear this from lots of kids your age and they're actually really amazing you know, intelligent, strong, brave kids. Mm. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken mm. about that. It's really understandable. Here's what we need to do. Mm. So it's kind of opening the way to mm. that, which can be helpful as well. Exactly. I'm. I'm. And I've, I'm imagining that sometimes it's like you you find out that the therapist or the guidance counselor uh, has said almost the exact same thing as you have, and somehow the child heard it you know they got it when somebody else said it so it's it is an important thing to do um and reach out for help and it's it is i as you said completely fine and a lot of people do it and you deserve the help you need so go ahead and get it So with my own kids, sometimes I'll be saying, you know, it's the it's it's the same line that I've been saying for five years, but they'll hear it from someone else's mum, and they'll come home and it's like it's big news. And I just, <laughs> you know, you just have to go. Yeah, right. That's really wise. Yes. I wish I thought of that. <laughs> oh, maybe they were quoting me from one of my articles. That's so interesting. Yes, no, that's that's awesome. And you, you as somebody who specializes in anxiety, that must be really funny to hear. Uh, I I love that. Why don't you give us your top tip? What is the top thing? top message that you would want parents and educators or coaches to come away with about how to talk to kids about traumatic events, understanding that it can bring up a lot of anxiety? Mm. Probably what I would say is don't worry about saying the wrong thing. So I think one of the things that can hold people back from talking about it is what if I say the wrong thing? Mm. The It's you won't break them by saying the wrong the wrong thing mm. and i mean really it's better to have the conversation and to open the conversation up because once the words are there and once the conversation's happening even if something you say doesn't land the way that you thought it would you can clean that up yes. when there's a conversation there mm. when it does damage is not having the conversation because they're putting their own endings on it and they're accessing, um, you know, those memories and those images over and over and over without context. Mm. So what I would say is have the conversation. And if it's a teenager, they might roll their eyes and push you away. That's okay. That's all right. 
the main thing is they that it will still land on them that you're there and and if they want to talk about it they can the other thing probably i would say is to really normalize their experience of it so i get it i get it this mm. is scary um mm. i felt like this when when i heard about it mm. i really understand it because so, so that those fears don't grow into fears about being different mm. or, or damaged mm. Mm. because I think it, it must going to happen. And I think um, probably actually that's another you know thing to include in the dialogue is you with with kids, there can be a feeling of if I if I feel like something bad is going to happen or if I think something bad is going to happen, it probably means something bad will happen. So we can um, short circuit that by saying, you know, when I heard about it, I was I couldn't stop thinking about it either, um, and that's okay. You know, that's just a way that um, you try and protect yourselves because when you we try and protect ourselves because when we're thinking about it, it's almost like your brain's on guard to to be ready to respond to it. Doesn't mean something's going to happen. It's just your brain saying, you know, did you hear about this? And and what if this happens to us? What if it happens? But and then you go into the conversation about. Um, you know that we've talked about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so 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 sharing with them our experience of it can be really important and normalizing that conversation so that they don't put their own ending on it which is what well, if I feel like there's something bad must be going to happen mm. so I love what you're saying of course we're all about you know doing it again here because we and, and all about having the conversation so I just appreciate you uh, you know, shining a flashlight on that and saying, really, we've got to have the conversation. Yes, it may be uncomfortable. Yes, we may not get it right the first time, but that we are opening up the conversation so that the door remains open and the, our kids understand that we are there as a resource. We are there for comfort. Mm-hmm. We're there to be a sounding board and it's okay. It's okay that they, that talking about it is actually a healing process, not uh, an instigator of, of the actual event happening to them. That's right. And the thing is, you know, some, I think sometimes there's a fear that if I talk to them about it, it might make them think it more. Yes. If they're thinking it, they're thinking uh-huh. it. We won't, we won't make it worse. In fact, talking is a healing process in itself because it gives word to the feelings. Mm-hmm. If it's not bothering them, just saying to them, you know, you're okay with it. I just wanted to check in that you're okay with it. Um, it's not going to make them think it more if they're not already in the cycle. So there's, you know, there are no wrong conversations to have as long as it's, you know, normalizing it and validating them and catching how they feel. We don't even need to have the words when we go in there, just opening it up and the words will come. You know, they'll they'll ask the questions or, or they'll, um, you know, they'll have the responses. And even just hearing from us, I get it. I really get it. I felt like that too can be really healing. So it's not like we need to have any magic um, solutions mm. for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but just having that sense of helping them feel felt mm. is re- can be really healing. Mm, love that. Mm. I think that's a great way of putting it. Give us your resource of the week. Where can people go to get more information about you and all the wonderful uh, resources that you provide? So everything um, is on my website, heysigmund.com, and there's loads of articles there about um, 
I mean, there is an article about about talking to kids about world trauma, but mm-hmm. it's it's there's loads of articles with with the dialogue about how to talk to kids about um, anxiety. Yes. And really, if if yes. this is hurting them, if if that if something has happened, and it's and it's hurting them, um, it's it is it's anxiety. It's a fear of what what if something happens to you? What if something happens to me? And it's just having that conversation. So. Um, if you go to my website, the kids and anxiety. There's a drop-down heading, and all the and the conversations are there. The information's there. Mm-hmm. It's a great website and so useful um, for anybody who has a child who is experiencing anxiety and uh, in all different ways. So I just want to thank you for being on the show today, for providing all the information that you do, for working in this area and and really being such a comfort to parents and to educators and to coaches so that they feel that they have the tools, they have the resources to talk to kids about anxiety and in spe- especially in this case, traumatic Uh, events that they may experience or may have heard about. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing to have the conversations and to open up the conversations because it's hard. These are hard conversations to have. And, you know, there's not a, um, you know, we don't, we, we don't always necessarily have word for word scripts because sometimes our kids will, will add things into the conversation that can be challenging for us or, you know, we don't know how to respond to, but the most important thing is having the conversation. So thank you for doing everything you're doing to, to do that and to, um, you know, to, to make the conversations happen. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm, I'm feel honored and, uh, I feel very blessed and lucky that I get to do the work that I do and, and talk to educators and, and experts like you, uh, my friends out there, I've got my takeaways and I bet you you have yours. Let's discuss them. Let's come up on Facebook. We can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. And I'll tell you, Karen Young is all over the place too, and I'll be linking to her. Um, We're going to go back and forth. And as you know, I develop memes. There's so many things that Karen Young said today that I think are quotable and that are important for us to remember that we, you know, have to make sure that we're, we're having the conversations that we help our children to feel felt and loads more. So make sure you stay tuned to all those memes and share them. And if you loved the podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can get these outstanding solutions. Unfortunately, this is a conversation we absolutely have to have, and it's going to come up multiple times. So please feel free to share the podcast so that people can hear these solutions and use them in their own homes. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. 
You're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Just like we were saying on this podcast, when you have the conversation, even if it lands wrong, even if you don't say it quite as you wish, even if you think at night or the next day, oh, I wish I did it differently. So do it differently. You can have the conversation again. You can say to your child, what I should have said was this or what I meant to say was that or did this come across right? You can do it again. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.